Welcome to the Medical Mnemonist Podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, take a journey into the top techniques for medical mnemonics, study skills, board exam tips, and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by learning coach and accelerated learning instructor, Barry Mapp. He has taught tens of thousands of students from all over the world and has a number one ranked course on mind mapping on Udemy. Barry, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic, thank you. Great, great. So could you give a little intro about how you got into accelerated learning, mind mapping, and sort of what your thoughts are on that in your course? Uh, yes, uh, I would say back in about uh, early 1990s, um, I was doing a diploma in management studies, and uh, I hadn't done much study for quite some time. And I started to dabble with this thing called mind mapping because I was, uh, I was drawn towards it uh, as a technique. But to be quite honest, I didn't find it very helpful. And uh, this is because, you know, I learned uh, that I wasn't using it to its true power. And then in about 1994, my post as a scientist in the health service became redundant as a part of hospital reorganization. And so I decided to spend some of my redundancy money on, on actually going to the guru himself, uh, Tony Bazan, who unfortunately passed away a, a few months ago, learning mind mapping from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And of course, that's when I discovered that I was really doing it all completely wrong. And what, what I was doing. Uh, was more like circular spaghetti diagrams than anything that was going to be helpful to the brain and learning. And one of the things that helps the brain with learning is to unclutter information and to spatialize it and spread it out. So what I was doing with my spaghetti diagrams was like making a complex wiring diagram of, of a topic uh, and filling the page with, you know, all sorts of wires and spaghettis. And, and really, the brain doesn't appreciate that at all. So I discovered why, why I wasn't getting any benefit from it. And then I thought, well, you know, I've been made redundant. I'm looking for a new career. And so I thought I could teach some of this myself. So that's how it all started. I, I trained as a Bazan trainer, and uh, that was back in 1994. And I've been using mind mapping and teaching mind mapping uh, ever since. Sounds like it was a match made in heaven, especially with your last name being Map. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. It's a USP, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So you have a unique view on sort of the left brain, right brain type of mentality for uh, your philosophy on learning and education. Yeah. Um, can you explain that? And I know you mentioned some controversy, so you kind of approach it. Yes, yes. Well, the, the, just a few weeks ago, I actually had one of my students on my e-learning course who, who'd uh, enjoyed the course, but he had this to say. He said, the, the ideas and techniques taught are very useful, especially if you've never done any mind mapping before, or you've only done them poorly. I have no complaints when it comes to Barry's teaching about mind maps. However, there are several moments of what might be called pseudoscience. Now, you, you have to see that that being labelled at me as someone who spent 22 years working in the health service as a, as a clinical scientist is a bit of a red rag to, to, to a ball. But anyway, so he said what might be called pseudoscience, um, things like the left brain, right brain divide. And he also said that I dismissed modern science about the brain. Well, 
I, that's what I try to share. I actually try to share modern science about the brain, and I'm always updating my learning based on you know the latest uh, neuroscience. So he finished by saying, I think the class would be better served by just reviewing how to use mind map because anyone already taking the class doesn't care about why mind maps are superior. They've already bought in. First of all, I do believe that um, a lot of people do need to have the why. You know, why is this going to work for me? What's in it for me? How do I know that this is going to be uh, useful putting my time into learning this technique? And you yourself will know with your expertise in mnemonics and memory techniques is that there is a time investment that people have to put in at the front end in order to benefit, you know, down the road. So people do need to see, you know, early wins but they also need to know why it might be you know, useful for them. So talking about the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain is one of the ways that, that I, I help people to understand how it might help them. Now, the myth of left brain, right brain, you know, we've known for a long time and, and the science hasn't changed, is that we have skill sets, if you like, on both sides of the brain. We know that um, language is mainly rooted on one side we know that our spatial processing is mainly rooted in a skill set on on the other side we've known that for a long time what went wrong and what is the pseudoscience is the person the the idea that these are personalities so that people are starting to be described as left-brained or right-brained which is completely wrong that is a myth we're both-brained I see the left and right brain skills not as learning preferences, but learning habits, learnt habits. So people who might be described as left brain are those that continually use and practice the skill sets that are based on the left side of, of the brain. And those that are more what we might call right brain are those that practice and therefore have the habit of using the, the right brain skills. Now, where the model is useful for people getting into mind mapping is the work of people like Professor Ian McGilchrist in his book, The Master and His Emissary, where he talks about mammalian brains and the, and the left and right side of mammalian brains. And that one of the evolutionary differences is that the right side of the brain in mammals is for big picture. It's for seeing the horizon. It's for seeing everything that is... Uh, that is out there, it's seeing the background and the context. And the left side of the brain is for focus. But what McGilchrist says is, even from an evolutionary point of view, mammals lead with the right side of the brain, with the skill sets that are in the right side of the brain, and then they follow up with the skill sets um, in, the, in the left. So when it comes to learning, it makes learning easier if you go big picture first, and then you start to focus down um, on the detail. And one of the things that a mind map does, it puts all the essential elements in the center and all the detail towards the periphery. And so it teases those things apart. And that helps the brain to navigate information. So anyway, that's, uh, that's a rough overview. <laughs> Why I think it's uh, important to to have some appreciation that we have different skill sets on each side. We need to use them both, but there may be an advantage in many learning situations of leading with the right side of the brain, the skill set that's based there, and then moving to the left. Okay, so I'm not familiar with Ian McGilchrist. So that's a, an interesting theory I haven't heard 
too much about that. I want to look into it now, but it sounds like in simplest terms, it's taking the topic of diffuse learning and focused learning and just associating them more so with one side of the brain versus the other. So it's pretty clear in a lot of different neuroscience and educational psychology, you need focused learning for certain tasks and diffuse learning learning for bigger tasks. And it sounds like you're using the same philosophy, just possibly in different terminology than some other people might be used to hearing it associated with. Yes. I think the subtle difference might be that with a lot of other memory techniques, you might start with the detail and and then go diffuse because when you're in theta brainwave state and delta uh, is that that's good for, for long-term memory. Um, you know, for the digestion of information and long-term memory. What we're saying with, with mind mapping is it does force you to do some diffuse thinking before you do any focus thinking. So that might be a subtle difference of a habit, if you like, that you're learning and using when you're mind mapping as opposed to using, say, mental journeys or straight mnemonic to, to remember detail. Good point. Okay. Now we have your teaching pedagogy down and a little bit of an overview of kind of what to expect when approaching mind maps. Now we've had a few people come on in the past that discuss mind maps very generally and how it's a good technique that they recommend, but being that it's a very visual technique and it's hard to do through audio media, I think this is going to be the first episode that we really go a little more in depth with some of the pros and cons or the mistakes and such. I guess uh, we might as well start off with how about an example or how do we approach a mind map from maybe a medical student standpoint? For me, mind mapping is much more a thinking tool than it is a memory and studies tool. Every medical student, in my view, would benefit about thinking more about what they're being taught. So once you start to, to mind map, it is engaging a lot more of your thinking potential um, on topic. So uh, we were discussing earlier, just before the, we went live, a book called Mind Maps in Medicine, I think it was. Uh, it's interesting because that book has a very big index and it, uh, it's, it's covering the whole of medicine and it starts with cardiology, I think it is, and then it gradually goes down through all the other things and then eventually on about page three of the index, you're down to the liver and down to gastrointestinal and so on. And in each of those headings, you've got 10 to 20 sub subheadings. So it's like you've got a long list. The index is a long list. And that, that helps you navigate. So I was interested. I've got the book. I bought it second hand. I was interested in ischemic heart disease. So I sort of navigate through the cardiology and, and find it, and it gives me a mind map. Now, that's the first mind map that it attempts to, to give me on medicine. So I've gone straight in to detail. The first mind map that I do is a detail of about uh, around ischemic heart disease. Now, whenever you're mind mapping, the, you have to start at the top. You have to start with the big picture. It's the right brain view of the topic. So there should have been in this book a mind map of medicine, and then there would have been the main branches, and there was about eight main categories. And as I teach on my course, you don't need more than, you don't want more than 10 branches on a mind map because you start to clutter it. So it's possible to create a mind map of what's in the book. Uh, and the fact that they didn't do that 
that there was there was no attempt to have an over uh, you know if you like a mastermind map of, of the topic no attempt to do that made me suspect they didn't really understand uh, the power of, uh, of of the technique but if all you want to do and that this was really all this book was trying to achieve i think was to put checklists medical checklists instead of in a linear form into a, into a circular form and you know mind mapping is not especially good for that uh, checklists are probably better left in a in a linear checklist form you know that's what that's what you're doing you're if you're going through a set of procedures that you've got to do in medicine and they have a specific order to do then a checklist and ticking them off as you go through is is a reasonable procedure that's a good way to use a list or a checklist if you're learning the wider aspects of, of medicine and how ischemic heart disease fits into everything else, then really you want to see where it fits in the, in the wider big picture. So it's the topic, it's what you put in the center that dictates how early you go into detail. Now, for me, if I, if I was doing a book for medical students on mind mapping, you know, mind maps for medical students, my first mind map that they would be exposed to wouldn't even be a mind map of medicine. I would go higher. It would be a mind map about health and well-being, of which medicine is part. This exercise and nutrition that affects our health and well-being. And if you look at how we're being taught medicine, and I know, you know, it's, it's very reasonable. Students have to learn what they're going to be tested on. But from the thinking point of view, to be a better doctor, they really need to be thinking more about their subject beyond what their professors are throwing at them. And that's where mind mapping can be really useful, because if you start to create a mind map of health and well-being with medicine embedded in it, you know, you start to see how medicine really isn't often the first thing we need to think about when we're not well. We do have a system, don't we, which is teaching these students that the first thing that they're going to be doing is to make a diagnosis and often prescribe something so it's um so if you like i'm not making a pitch for mind mapping so much to learn about to learn the detail of all the complexity of what they need to learn but but to help them embed what they know about medicine in in the wider view of health and well-being and that that would be a good use of medicine now i do i do have an example which you won't be able to see but uh we'll be able to post this on the uh with the podcast there's a dr Roll lamberts who posted he called it the doctor's mind map and he posted it on the healthcareblog.com and uh, and i've sketched out a mind map which you're not going to be able to see but i can use it to help me talk through this topic so i've got it on my screen um, and he's saying how how using this technique it really sort of opened him up to having a better patient consultation what he's saying is that his mind map is about the patient and the well-being of the patient uh, and there's lots of things here which are not just about you know, all the detail that's in the mind maps in medicine book. Yeah. Let me compare something real quick. So you have mind maps in medicine. And I also in front of me right now have mind maps for medical students, neither of which first off seems to be an actual mind map. They seem like concept maps with 
bullet point lists and checklists and just odd ways to attempt to use visual learning, but not really, in my opinion, anyway, the most effective way, and definitely not following uh, the traditional Tony Buzan style of mind mapping and his, I believe it's seven rules. And then I'm pulling up the mind map, the good doctor's mind map that you're mentioning. And this seems more like at least the topics he's covering is really more of kind of like you were saying, creative, it's brainstorming more so than note taking, which I guess I had always kind of attributed mind maps to, at least for medical students, being more of a note-taking tool as well. But you're saying that it's better off as a creative thinking tool and brainstorming tool. The first mind map that a medical student should create once they understand purpose of mind maps is a mind map of the whole curriculum, if you like, the whole topic that they're needing to learn. And what I'm suggesting is that, um, and I teach this on my strategic thinking workshops, is that if we want to think much more strategically about a topic, so for example, medical students who are thinking about how medicine could be improved in the future, they need to go to a higher level of abstraction. So those mind map books go down to lower levels of abstraction. They go immediately into the detail. You say you've got one of, on ischemic heart disease, you've got one on angina, you've got, and so on and so on and so on. They've gone straight into the detail about, uh, about the heart. They haven't spent time thinking about the whole, thinking about where all the heart stuff fits with the gut stuff. What mind mapping helps to do, in my view, if you start with a, a mind map that's above medicine, that is to do with health and well-being, and you have all the elements in there, and you see that medicine is a small part um, of the whole, of which the medical student needs to study extensively in order to pass their exams. But for me, you have a much more rounded student. And the thing with the, the brain is that... Uh, well, you know, this associations is what we tap into when when we're using any memory techniques. Generally, you associate one thing with another. So the more you're able to embed medicine into all these other things which have touched your own life and is touching the lives of family and friends, that gives a much bigger framework for memory and recall. So then this actually might bring up a great example for students is in medicine, for instance, in your first couple of years of medical school, at least in the US, uh, a lot of it is still discipline-based. So you learn your microbiology, your anatomy, physiology, pathology, all these disciplines. And yes, nutrition is actually not a course that's required for most students. We have biochemistry, which is kind of the closest aspect of it. It's related to nutrition, but not nutrition itself because registered dietitians are really the ones that even physicians go to for that. They specialize in that. So it's an interesting intermix. And to clarify for the audience, that's registered dietitians, not nutritionists, not the same thing. Check an RD. Okay, so let's take this broader view in the example we're going over. Instead of what I would have thought to start with would be a general mind map of medicine, which would be all the disciplines. But you're saying take it a level above that and add nutrition and add, I can't think right now of all these other health aspects that you don't actually necessarily learn too much about in medical school. Exercise is an example. I don't think that's covered at all in the mind maps in medicine. And yet, you know, there's so much information about high intensity exercise and the benefits um, from that and, and simple benefits from walking and, and thing, things like that. So whereas um, if you go to the ischemic heart disease 
mind map, there may be something about treatment strategies. So a small aspect would be, you know, going for walks and doing exercise. But my point is that's buried there. That's sort of, you know, buried two thirds of the way around the, the mind map. So it's very easy for the medical student to to dismiss it. Whereas I think up front, having a, the broadest picture possible of where your own topic and subject fits actually helps you to learn more quickly then. And there's nothing wrong with specialisms um, because that's what we have to do today. You can't expect everybody to know everything. But what is very useful from a memory point of view is, is having that big picture to start with and knowing where, you know, what, what things are important or may be important. Uh, if I go to see my doctor here, that we have a general practitioner, first of all. We don't go into uh, see a hospital specialist to start. And they're meant to be a generalist, but actually they're only generalists in medicine. It's supposed to run that way here too, but too many people like to go straight to the emergency department for every little cut they have. Yes, and my, um, my, my partner Margaret recently had a, a hip operation and she, so she had to go and see a hip specialist and the, the consultant actually was very trim. He, was, he obviously kept himself fit, but the senior registrar was a massive guy. I mean, he was grossly obese. And a lot of the nursing staff in, in our health service are obese. And yet this is meant to be a health service. And it's like none of them have learnt through their nursing practice or their doctoring practice to keep themselves fit and healthy. So I'm, I'm sounding like a stuck record. I make, I make the, the bid for mind mapping can, can help students to keep continually going back to the big picture and seeing the relevance of their own to of their own subjects and specialisms embedded in the, in the whole so a bit further down the line when they're qualified they'll be in one of these spe these subspecialisms won't they so now they won't be doing medicine they'll be doing perhaps surgery or they'll be a specialist in cardiac or a specialist in gut or a specialist in in neurology that would be another step above. I'd say let's take a the broad overview you mentioned with healthcare in general, but then we'd want to focus on medicine. So would we take the medicine topic from our overview and then make another mind map about that? That would have all the disciplines. Yes, Gen generally um, you you get the most benefit if you go down two levels. So if you've started with an overall mind map about well-being, of which medicine is one of the branches you want to start creating finding the detail you want to start mind mapping the detail but medicine is too early so you'll have some sub branches on medicine so you go down what i call two levels so instead of going to medicine you then might go to one of the big areas which might be say uh, gut um it might be heart and then you start, so th so then you can start mind mapping from that le that level. Okay, because that's a, an interesting point to mention too. Is students they might be in two different schools of thought. Some schools will start off with more integrated approaches, so cardiology, gastroenterology, all of the what later becomes specialties in medicine. Whereas others still start with the very foundational disciplines that I mentioned earlier. And then from there, after the first year or two, they might start to integrate it. So I guess your mind map might have to depend a lot about your school and your curriculum, just how they have everything set up. 
Yeah. I mean, I've got an example here where I, in front of me, you won't see this, but I, I did a, a mind map of coronary artery disease article on Wikipedia. And one of the branches is treatment. Uh, so treatment for coronary artery disease, and that is subdivided into surgery, medications and lifestyle changes. Now, the point that I'm making is that you, you, you get the best use of mind mapping if you, and when you want to go into the detail, not to have the topic as a coronary artery disease treatment as a topic, but instead now to go to one of those subsets. So this would be surgical treatment, medical treatment and lifestyle treatment. There's no reason why you, you can't do it the way that you suggested, but I, I just generally find that you, you don't want hundreds of mind maps. So you, what you're trying to do is to have more in the under 100 mind maps over the whole topic, yeah, of the a whole of medicine. Um, you don't want thousands of them. So you, you've got to manage that. It sounds like my mind maps are probably following a lot of the mistakes that you were talking about initially, because I would sort of attempt mine in the same organization as outlining a chapter in a book. I might have one for microbiology and have different microbes, and then from there branch out to different diseases that each microbe causes, different treatment for each one. And it's really structured in a similar manner to a textbook. And that's sort of the way I have always done it and kind of heard from other people. But it sounds like you're saying that's probably not the most efficient way, and it's not as uh, creative as some of the methods you teach. Correct. But you can use it both ways. If you think about it, when you're mind mapping an article, when you're mind mapping by chap, you know, by chapter or section, it is a reductionist approach. And so you can go the opposite way. And that is not to use that structure at all. That is the structure that came out of left brain thinking. But you, you look to create something that gives you a much more real world thing. I mean, in, in the real world, diseases don't uh, happen in nice sections, do they? Cross, they? They cross fertilize the, the various sections. And this is the issue that can happen with specialisms is that uh, someone has a range of symptoms uh, of which the surgeon or the doctor is only a specialist in dealing with, with some of them. And uh, it may be that some of the symptoms are actually the priority or are actually making a different, a different diagnosis. So this is all, all around getting the big picture first and then going down into the detail. If the doctor makes a premature decision that this looks like something I've seen before, you know, in so now we're, we're looking at when they start practicing what, what they've learned. If they make a premature decision, is this looks like something that needs surgery, um, that often is too premature. They need to, to see a much more wider picture first. And, uh, you know, could diet sort this out? <laughs> that's, that's actually something that uh, a lot of physicians complain about when they're first getting students on rotations is that they're not trained to think in these creative modes. They have to think in a very step-by-step uh, -step manner in order to get the massive amounts of information, usually down in some sort of pattern they're going to remember. And we have what we call illness scripts, which is like a generic patient that has this disease. What are they going to show symptom-wise? So that's definitely needed for foundational knowledge, but it sounds like this is a tool that students might be able to use in their own time to also increase that creativity that could be missing in your first couple of years of clinical practice. Yeah. 
And this is one of the things that Rob Lambert says uh, on the healthcare blog where he's done this doctor's mind map and he, he talks uh, about it. And uh, towards the end of what he's saying, how, does, how did mind mapping the patient well-being help him in his day-to-day practice? He says, it sure looks fancy and sounds all TED talkish. It scares me that I may be advocating something holistic. I may just get a call from opera because of it. That's scary. But then what he's, say, what he's saying is the benefit to me, and this would be the ben, what I would say the benefit to all medical students who use this as part of what they're doing. The benefit to me is that it pulls me away from the seductive simplicity of cookbook medicine. In the end, medical care is a human interaction that is designed to result in health gain of the patient. This is far more complex than a set of checkboxes or a bunch of criteria to assign meaning. In its best form of medicine, very much right-brained. So he uses the term right-brained there. We do need to see topics much more holistically and less checklisty, and mind mapping is a great way to help us do that. I agree. I, I think I need to go back and take another course then because uh, the way is I was trying to implement these before were not the way I'm hearing you describe them and having different ways to set up your mind maps like any note-taking or visual mnemonics type of technique. Uh, I know you're not using this necessarily as a visual mnemonic, but having a variety of ways to create them just gives you more options when you come across new material that you're you know, not used to. So, Yeah. Uh, and my final plug for, for mind mapping is that it taps into, uh, does tap into our visual memory, as you say. But for me, the biggie for, is spatial. It's very rare. We have a um, visual-spatial working memory or a spa- spatial processing working memory, which is, is quite powerful for helping us remember stuff. And we, we don't use that when we're looking at stuff in the portrait mode. So when we're reviewing lists, we don't need that spatial processing. So we don't use it. So the thing is with a mind map, because it always puts the data when done properly, it puts it in landscape mode, um, we can maximize the use of what is actually three working memories, the spatial, the visual spatial, um, and the um, numeric verbal. So, you know, whereas it's the spatial working memory that we very rarely get to use unless we're doing a technique like mind mapping. Good point. Thinking about it, Roman room does tap into that where you you have in your head, you have a room and you spatialize items around the room. And that's quite important. It's not that, you know, you put something on a wall and something on the floor. It's because it's spatial that it helps the brain to hold on to the, uh, the information. So mind mapping is always promoted as being visual, but I would say its big benefit is that it spatializes information. Agreed. A lot of students, especially for some of the really popular medical reference books out there that everyone seems to use, anytime they make a big change in that book from one year to the next, the student's main complaint is, why did you move this to the other page? I remember it on this page and now it's messing with my memory. So that spatial part is very important. Yes, it is. So I generally end these with a a quick segment called Just Three Wishes. Are you ready to make some wishes? Try me. (laughs) Is there anything that you wish you could remember better? Well, there are some things that I know all the technique, but I don't practice them. So uh, when I put my mind to it, I can remember names very well, but I very rarely put my 
uh, mind to it because it does require a certain amount of focus concentration you know on on it so i'm not very good with names but i should be so that would be one thing that i would wish for but really you see i should shouldn't be saying that because i do know the techniques it's just that i don't get around to using them like i should I do the same thing. And actually every single Nemesis and memory champion I've interviewed says the same thing. We never practice nearly as much as we should. Number two is if there's one thing you could change in education, what would it be? Well, I think it would be to get all students to be able to lead with the right side of their brain, with the, the modules, special skill sets that they have in the right side of their brain before leaping into the left. So as an example, a textbook is, is a reductionist way to learn. It's not holistic. If you're reading a book on medicine, you would start with the first chapter, which may be straight into detail. That may be the cardiology chapter. You know, this is not the way to learn a topic in my view. So uh, by forcing people to lead with the right side of the brain, that they, they need the big picture. And that's what we're saying is they need to know what is in medicine. In, maths and, uh, in, in, in mathematics, we don't see the whole picture to start with. Uh, and I just think that's scandalous, you know, because, because I should have been allowed to see the big picture of where everything fitted and instead of having to believe that there was only one type of um, geometry, and that was flat space geometry, I would wish that we were given the big picture of things before we go down into the detail. Yes, there's a, a, definitely a lot of material after any kind of class. I feel that you feel that you were cheated because you didn't know about that. But I guess you could also infinitely expand, in many instances, infinitely narrow the vision. So it's hard to know what the right amount is for every student that might be on different levels of uh, learning or subject familiarity. Yeah. And then the last question is, if there's one thing you could change in medicine, what would it be? I kind of covered some of it there, but... Yes, I, th I think what I would like to see, and I thought about this recently, is I don't think the doctor should be the first port of call. I think we need we need someone who knows about all the med all the possible treatments. They know a bit about exercise, they know a bit about diet, they know a bit about medicine, they know a bit about this, a bit about that. So when someone comes to see them with a knee pain, they don't have to immediately think in terms of surgery or uh, an inject. They can look at the whole thing and say would you be interested, first of all, of going to this aromatherapist or this um, Chinese medicine acupuncturist to see whether that will help with your condition? So in other words, someone who can point people to try different non-invasive, non-medication procedures uh, before they leap into medicine because in the uk i don't know whether it's the same in america but i suspect it is our health service is really a prescription medication sur and surgical service it doesn't do much else and it is greatly influenced by the pharmaceutical companies in terms of you know what uh, what they prescribe etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, that would be my wish yeah there's definitely similarities uh, where can the audience find you if they want to find out more information they can link with me on LinkedIn. I currently, I don't have a uh, website. I closed it down a couple of years ago because uh, I was feeling I was spending too much time doing stuff on it and blogging. And so I closed it down. They can obviously go to Udemy 
and see the courses that that that, that I run, um, they can go to LinkedIn and mention. You know, I won't link with anyone on LinkedIn, but if they're on LinkedIn and they mention that they've seen this podcast and they'd like to link with me, then then I would be happy to do that. Uh, I use LinkedIn sort of as my web uh, site at the moment, but I do have plans to relaunch a website uh, early next year. So, yeah, when they're listening to this episode, maybe it'll be up and running. Yeah, maybe. Yes. All right. Well, Barry, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining these different creative approaches for mind maps. My pleasure. The Medical Mnemonist podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, including USMLE tutoring and residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.